Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comic Podcast. I'm Carissa, and I'm joined by our other nerds, Ryan. Hello. And Rory. Hey, hey, hey. Christina is busy making the Kessel Spice Run and will return. I know you miss her. I miss her, too. Together, we take on the week's comics. Each week, we read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now. No offense. It's okay. And then come on back. Each week, one of us will pick our pick of the week, and that's our favorite book. And I'm totally messing up these words as I go, but that's cool, because you're with me. And that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. And this week, my pick of the week goes to Empress number three. Our companion song is Take It on the Run by Me First and the Gimme Gimmies. Because, well, one, number one, I'm a sucker for punk rock covers of songs. <laughs> and two, this series so far just always makes me think of 80s pop for some reason. Like the very first issue, I was like, you know, I was a waitress at a cocktail bar. That was my first song. <laughs> and this one, all I could think was, Take It on the Run, baby. But you'll see, because here it goes. Heard it from a friend too. Heard it from a friend too. Heard it from another you've been messing around. Say you got a boyfriend. You're up there every weekend. I'm talking about you and it's making me down. But I know the neighborhood. But the sheep and the stubborn is good. And the tails are color on down the line. But I'm feeling you, babe. And even if it is, keep this in mind You take it on the run, baby If that's the way you want it, baby Then I don't want you around Empress number three, Icon Comic Written by Mark Millar Pencils by Stuart Immowin Inks by Wade Von Grob Badger that's an awesome name, Wade. That is the coolest name in comics. Dude, Wade, <laughs> you and me, we gotta be BFS. We gotta be friends. I love your name. I didn't mess it up, number one. Two, it's badass. And colors by, and I am gonna get this wrong, Evie Savorsina. Savornica, I believe. Savornica? I'm sorry. I tried. I had a hard time picking my pick of the week this week. I wasn't quite sure. Nothing really blew me out of the water. I didn't hate anything. I didn't really like love anything. Do you like Empress? I feel it's like kind of like a slow burn. I just like where it's going. It does remind me of like 80s sci-fi in a way. I feel like Captain Eos is going to pop out of this universe kind of thing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's very big screen sci-fi space opera. I keep on looking for Sting. It is. Back with the Empress and her kids and that Silver Fox Dane, the ship and the other people they picked up along the way, they're planet hopping through the powers. The powers that let them jump, they almost don't know where they're going to show up. You know, it'll be like in the middle of an ocean, like <laughs> in the middle of a war. These weird, but they're jumping, you know, different spots across the universe trying to get, basically get away. It starts off where they're on on no planet a la Hoth and Hoth also it reminds me of that the newest first one of the Star Trek films where they dump Kirk on there where he runs into old Spock and he's running from that giant snow beast in the, in the snow <laughs> almost exactly like this except for that beast swallowed Dane and the baby <laughs> but they're trying to fight it you knew it was going to happen. He shoots himself out of the gut. Badass, but also predictable. Yeah. And then they realize, like, oh, we're on a preserve my husband set up, you know, the emperor, for endangered species. <laughs> so which he has clearly just killed one. But, you know, <laughs> baby, save it, had to. And so they jump again. And like I mentioned, there's an ocean one. I think, I think the ocean one might be my favorite because there's this big sea serpent alien monster. Hey, the royal family. And then they bleep again. <laughs> yeah. I like that you think that they're going to be monsters like the last one. And they're just like, hey, how's it going? 
oh, we're a family. Like, like they watch them on E or something, you know? It's them. It's the Kardashians. <laughs> but they jump and all of a sudden they're in a war and there's some other one. Then they end up like, oh, we're going to get onto this desolate planet. It hasn't been... Oh, I jumped a little ahead. So they stop, I don't know, like a resort planet, basically. And they're like, oh, don't draw attention to ourselves. And they basically take a break <laughs> there. This is actually where some plot actually happens. And so they're there and they're hanging out and they're talking. Daughter, who you know has been against running away from her dad from the beginning, basically says, there's nothing going on between you and Dane, right? Just tell me there's not anything going on with you and I'll be fine with it. Because the mom is basically trying to explain why they need to go to her sister and they, she references back the cocktail bar waitress thing. I'm going on record now saying that if something hasn't already started happening between the Empress and Dane, something is definitely moving that way. And I definitely think it's going to backfire as in predictable plot is predictable that the daughter's going to see something happen and either like run away or contact the dad and it's going to blow up. I think they're going to freeze company it. Something will seem to be happening that she'll see and then she'll <laughs> run back to her dad. It's going to do something like that. I'm just calling it now because that's for me is what seems like it's happening. So there's that moment and then it just a cutaway back home to the home planet with the emperor he's doing the whole i'm very disappointed in you yep. minion you are the worst <laughs> lackey ever and he does a head crush kills that guy and then he's standing in front of like this army of minions yep. and there's another lackey going these guys won't fail you they'll follow any order they're basically <laughs> like the unsullied <laughs> as i make all sorts of pop culture references going on tonight and then he tells the army to fire him and they <laughs> obliterate that guy he's a splatter which good aiming on that army part because he was standing right next to them no misfires they are not stormtroopers this army they did not miss their target and the emperor though he does one cool line like i will burn the stars down to get my children back you know evil red thanos dude it reminds me a lot of there's a part in dexter where there's like the horrible ex comes back and is basically harassing them and stalking them and he's like well say what you will about him but he's really committed to his children (laughs) the only thing that makes him kind of oh i totally understand how as a parent, how you'd feel like that. Of course, dude, I don't think you realize that that's how stars work. They burn. I'm like, it didn't really make sense. That was a very odd line. Yeah, you burned down planets, buddy. <laughs> Pretty sure you're not used to people correcting you, but in my head, I'm like, you're the emperor and you're scary and that's cool. However, and I, I enjoy your passion for getting your children back, but I don't think you understand how stars work. Oh, yeah, because the guy who you originally killed with the head crush, they were harboring her. When they, you know, How did you not find her? Why didn't you tell us? Yeah, I think it's just moving the story along. Nothing's extremely epic happened but i'm curious to hear what you guys thought this was one of the pleasant finds when i started doing the podcast when we started doing this one the artwork is good it's very good to look at the story's entertaining the characters are interesting i mean pretty much every every time we've had an empress up I've enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. The little person who's the telepath or the, the psychic. Yeah, the little one. The one who's like, I can't run as fast as you. That was, that was a really cool scene because, uh, you know, at one point or another, he's talking about how he's got telepathic abilities. He talks about how he's like, I'm trained to pull ships down. And then later on, they teleport to a planet and it's like there's all of these wrecked ships and everybody's like, damn, you're good. You know, because there's all these like giant wreckage on the planet, you know. I thought that was an awesome scene. And they're going to places where he knows before. They're points that he's been, I guess, right? Yes. Ship has to have been to the place so that he can jump to it. And he also needs to be able to see it. Where it leaves off. It's like, they can't jump off this desolate planet because there's a cloud storm coming, a dust storm coming in, and he can't see the next destination, the points in the stars. I love this series, actually. Really good. This particular issue was a little bit slow. You know, you know, going places, it's a good setup issue. Uh, yeah, no complaints. 
complaints with this one. I really like the art. I thought the art on this was Stuart Eminent, I mean, draws some just badass spaceships, some awesome images. I have no complaints about the art. The writing I find very, I don't know, just uncompelling. Like, I'm not particularly interested in what happens to them. I think I should be. That's the whole point of the story. So I'm supposed to care about what's going to happen to this family, but I'm just, I'm not that invested in it. It's not working for me. It is really pretty to look at. So, I mean, I'll still read them and enjoy them. That's kind of where I am with it. I give it a good three and three quarters. Stars are already burning, dude. <laughs> I really like this one. It was a, but it wasn't as yeah. good as your typical Empress. I would give it a four. I'm going to give this one just because it's a little bit slower. I'm going to give it three and a half telekinetic little people. I will give it three ships. All new X-Men number 10 by Marvel Comics, written by Dennis Hopeless, pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Andrew Hennessy, colors by Volan Woodard. This is our adventures with, with boy apocalypse, emo apocalypse, as I like to call him. First of all, like how awesome is that cover on this one? I really thought it was cool, just before I get into like the story and stuff, I thought it was cool how they showed Enshabanur with a, a image of big boy apocalypse superimposed behind him. I thought that that was a really cool way to start everything. Thing off. It's like looking at that like mirror, looking in a mirror where you have all the images of Apocalypse mm-hmm. going back to the... Yeah, it's pretty cool. But I thought that was a cool start off. So that's where we left off is we left off with, with Kid Apocalypse, who is a clone of Apocalypse, running around with Enshabanur, who is the actual Apocalypse when he was younger, before he had turned into a world-destroying villain. <laughs> On this one, you start off with Beast. Beast has been captured by the uh, clan of... The Sands... What are they called? Sand Riders? Sand something? Oh, Sandstormers. Beast has gotten a vicious stomach wound from one of the Sand... Stormers and they're trying to like torture out of him where and Shabanor and Boy Apocalypse have gone or Kid Apocalypse sorry mm-hmm. Emo Apocalypse you know they're basically trying to like torture it out of him along comes this old blind vizier that basically works for the king and he tells them that they're going to want to have that information they don't want to kill him basically because they're like about ready to slit his throat if he doesn't speak anything this old vizier guy notices that the pharaoh's mask that they had used to transport back in time is sitting there so he takes beast back stitches up his wounds and then casts basically like a spell on him he uses some sort of potion that like allows beast to actually speak egyptian that was an interesting little thing uh, and Shabanor and and kid apocalypse get in this roaming around the city they meet up with this woman who basically works for apocalypse's father you know she's like walking in and basically like grabs a handful of fruit and stuff gets herself in trouble and they almost get in this big fight and so this was kind of an interesting scene here they almost these between these merchants and the ship crew they almost get in this like big huge fight and and Shabinor like comes up offers his blade as payment to like pay for the insult that this lady who's like the captain of the ship that he's friends with has made later on they get in this big huge fight between his father's rivals and this crew big huge brawl boy apocalypse is thinking of him like that he's like this vicious killer he's also watching him as he goes diving into this fight to try and help people and how like brave he is and you know this is like what i'm trying to be like kind of like an interesting juxtaposition of how like the real apocalypse is basically something that he aspires to be before he's like twisted and gone to whatever happens that pushes him over the edge thought it was kind of an interesting thing yeah that, that was my favorite part of the book i mean of course it makes sense because he's a clone of him so he should in theory by comic book rules you know he should think along the same ways and have like the same kind of things going on so i thought that that was probably like the best most interesting thing about 
the book is where he's talking about Apocalypse, who's about to become like this big bad, you know, eventually will become this mutant that is trying to kill off everyone and everything in the interest of making him stronger. Talking about him and how much of a hero he is. Later on, Ball and Shabanar's father is now on the trail and he wants to, you know, he wants to find out where his son's at. And so he realizes that his son's soft. So he's tracked down Beast, has the Vizier cast a spell so that, you know, like kind of like a telepathy type spell so that he can let them know that, oh, I've got uh, your friend here. You know, we'll see you soon. So that's where they end up at. So I'm liking the series. You know, at first I was kind of like, oh, this is kind of lame, but I'm kind of liking where they're going with it. I think it's interesting. The artwork's pretty good. It's not like super special. But I mean, it's it's pretty damn good as far as like comic book fair goes, you know, superhero fair. I'm digging the story. I'm thinking it's interesting, you know, just seeing like kind of who Apocalypse was before he lost his damn mind. And I think it's going to be even more interesting to see if Evan ends up losing his damn mind, just like his genetic predecessor. What did you guys think? I love X-Men. I- I don't know. I didn't love this. I thought it looked nice. And I feel I kept on while I was reading it, kept on thinking like I should be into this, but I wasn't. Part of me thought was, oh, of course, they're doing Apocalypse timeline to coincide with the Apocalypse popularity that's going to come from the Fox. I couldn't help but think that even though it wasn't a Marvel done one, they would still think, whoa, we should jump on this. And, you know, if that becomes popular. Sure. So on one hand, I think that's part of why I wasn't really into it, which doesn't make sense because I I like Egyptian stuff, so I feel like I should be into it. I didn't think there was necessarily anything wrong with it. I just found myself to get through this kind of this board, and I couldn't even really tell you why. The drawings were nice. It had some interesting parts. I think I just never really been an Apocalypse X-Men storyline arc fan. There's so many other things I love about the X-Men. I'm just kind of like, Mm, okay. I mean, I didn't want to, like, I wasn't going to throw it across the room. There is a distinct lack of Rogue and Gambit making out in this book. There is a distinct lack of that. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't. I don't have anything horribly bad to say about it, but I also don't have anything really good to say about it. I was just kind of eh, bored about it. There were parts of it that I really, really liked. Like, I liked the interaction between Beast and the mystic guy, the one with the blindfold. He was drawn really creepily. I really liked how he was drawn. Yeah, I thought he was... He was really cool. Uh, I liked that interaction. I liked that he is working for Ball, the king, but, you know, is, of course, you know, on really on his own side, like every, you know, vizier advisor type guy throughout history. So I thought that was cool. I liked the tie-in with the mask that Beast found with Doctor Strange, that there's that's still relevant, and that that mask is actually from this time period. That's in play. I really liked the part that Rory was talking about where Apocalypse and Evan are fighting together, that he basically gets to see him both trying to make peace, but also, you know, fighting to defend his friends. Yes. And that realization that no matter how good he is, something bad is still going to happen. Being good won't be enough to prevent becoming Apocalypse. So that was always his plan, right? Is if he's just a good person, then he won't become Apocalypse. But he's looking at Apocalypse as a kid, his same age, who's doing the exact things that he's mm-hmm. doing, trying to be good. And he knows it doesn't work out for him. So how is it supposed to work out for him? So I thought that was a nice little bit of maybe like a little mm-hmm. existential dread. What am I doing? No matter how good I am, no matter how hard I try, I'm fated to become this thing. Which they don't really have that much time to go into because they're busy fighting. Yeah. You know, but I thought that was really interesting. So I liked it. I, I'm on board with this. I mean, Dennis Hopeless is one of my favorite writers. I mean, he writes Spider Woman, which is my absolute favorite book. So I really like this one. I'm on board. Nice. Yeah, I'm good with it. I'm really enjoying this series. I like the artwork. Like I said, it's not like super spectacular, like groundbreaking or anything like that, but it is good. I really like the story a lot. So I'm going to give this one four Pharaoh's Mask. I give it two and a half creepy dudes with blindfolds. 
I didn't love it, nor did I really hate it. It's just mid-range, middle-of-the-road for me. So, middle-of-the-range road. <laughs> I think I'm with Rory on this one. I really liked it. I will give it four stolen fruits. I had Division Number 8 from Marvel Comics, written by Tom King, art by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta, colors by Jordi Belair. I really like The Vision. The Vision, to me, is a book about suburbia and that kind of dread that comes from everyday life from like trying to to fit in and this one is basically you have that narrator who's been telling you all these bad things are going to happen you figure out it's actually agatha from the scarlet witch comics last time when she told him the vision was going to wipe them was going to destroy the world because he was concerned with his family before anyone else that would lead to their all their destruction so this kind of loops back to another time where you get to see the vision family going throughout their everyday lives and this one is where this is a little Runaways tie-in where Victor from Runaways, who was also created by Ultron, which makes him the Vision's brother, shows up and they have their little scenes of domestic, not exactly tranquility, but their domestic life going on that they have. There's an interesting scene, the the mother, who got really messed up when she had to, to kill that guy, is talking about playing the piano and how when she she can basically lose herself in the music and that she and the, the piano become one. And then she kind of, you know, Victor gives her like a hug. So that was a nice little scene. It was kind of like a quiet little scene that shows you kind of the struggle that they're having, that that inner conflict that she's been like tortured by what she had to to do. So I liked that. There's also a scene where Victor and the kid are playing basketball and they have this nice little discussion where he's like, we need to talk about what you do when you go upstairs. You know, everyone can hear you, what you're doing. So they have this nice little, at first you think he's trying to have like the sex talk with him basically, but really he's talking about him just reciting Shakespeare really loudly to himself that uh, Mm -hmm. everyone can hear him and it's not nice to you know enjoy Shakespeare once in a while but you can't just you know lock yourself in your room and do that forever so that was a nice little parallel conversation like I thought the story was the conversation was going one place and it went totally the other another way that that was a nice little moment and then there's also I actually had to read this this sequence a few times to figure out what had actually happened where the daughter goes to the grave of that kid at first where she says I shouldn't have seen that I wasn't sure what she was talking about then I went back and looked at the panels again and she phased through the ground into the grave and basically saw, you know, into the the coffin and his, like, body in the ground and came back out. I thought that was interesting. What you find out here is that Victor has been sent by the Avengers to spy on the Vision and figure out what his plan is, what it is he's going to do that's going to end up destroying the world. The Vision's son finds his little secret lair that he's set up to do all this surveillance at, and he ends up, it looks like, shocking him to get him to stay and listen to him. Things are just unraveling for the Visions in their suburban their suburban life. I really enjoy this. I like the the sense of kind of like dread that the book has and the sense of trying to to be normal when they when they absolutely are not normal. I enjoyed it. There's lots of things I liked about it. I like the art. I like the writing. I'm a big fan of the Vision. Vision series, I've been hit and miss on. It really kind of just creeps me out in a way, but I don't think in a bad way, but it's never really my go-to choice of things I want to read. I usually end up enjoying it and take something away from it, but I think because it is slower paced and it kind of has that Twilight Zone, which I love the Twilight Zone-esque feel. It reminds me a lot of like a Twilight Zone version of American Beauty. Yeah, it really does have that. And then when I'm, so I'm reading along because it's your pick and I, I usually expect you to pick this and so I'm reading it. I'm not hating it, but then when I'm like, oh my god, it's Victor. Which makes sense because, you know, son of old. I'm a huge Runaways fan. I'm not a huge Victor fan. He's not one of the originals, so I'm a little bit of a snob that way. Funny because Ryan did say, he's like, yeah, but the Vision had a Runaways. Yeah, you're right, it did. But it was Victor. <laughs> now, if you threw a little Gert in there or something, hands down, pick of the week. But it was Victor, and I was never a really big Victor Macho fan 
anyways out of the Runaways. I do love that they're incorporating more of the Runaways into more Marvel comics that you were seeing, even with like, you know, Nico and A-Force and him. And even just like a bit little appearance. He was fully established in this whole book. That gave it a lot of points in my book. It made sense. I always thought when they brought him in that he, him being the son of Ultron was just a throwback, hurry, quickly tie him into something in the Marvel Universe when Runaways came out. A lot of things in the Runaways were very standalone, weren't... Right. I really find it interesting that they did tie that in and it works and it makes sense. I also thought where they mentioned how his mother found Ultron head in a garbage dump where they threw away Ultron's body after the fight. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Did you take yeah. the most dangerous weapon ever created to uh, throw it in a local landfill? What is wrong with you? And am I the only one where their dog just creeps me out? He's supposed to be creepy. I know, he's this weird green... Uh, I don't... He's this little Frankenstein dog. Me out. But yeah, the part on the grave, I thought that was really cool. I really didn't want to see Victor hurt the kid, so I really hope it wasn't too serious of an altercation near the end. I'm sure we're going to find out that character does run a fine line of good and bad his storyline so far victor has always been sometimes he goes too far he's fighting that kind of ultron-esque air part of him kind of thing right so that's really interesting i also thought that narration at the end where he's talking about how he and the vision are going to fight and the vision is going to kill him and then as he lays dying and like his eyes blink out mm-hmm. that he'll be really happy that he didn't become a villain yeah you know that he'll die a hero which i thought was super creepy really creepy i was really cool narration and use of story yeah i did really like it i was surprised because you know like i said i didn't really haven't really been super into the vision but in a different way than the x-men one like i was explaining to i really liked it it's really creepy it's just like sometimes i like to have a little things that are more upbeat but they execute weird suburbanite stepford very well on this series my excitement comes from basically <laughs> the creepy ass narration mm-hmm. and that sense of dread that something really bad is going to happen you know it's like watching the footage like before a car accident yeah. where you can see all the mistakes and all the pieces moving into position to cause that to happen i gave it four sparkies the dog gave it four matches guardians of the galaxy number nine Marvel Comics, written by Brian Michael Bendis, artist Valerio Shitty, and I always say that, and colors by Richard Isanove. No big surprise, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh man, I wish Christina was here for this one. Really? Well, yeah, there's a there's a reveal that I think she would really like. Yes, which actually is funny, because like, I was just kind of like, okay, it's a normal issue, until it got to that part, I'm like, way better issue! <laughs> One of the things I've been really loving about the Guardians in the Groot, Rocket and Groot series is that first little panel is always hilariously funny of them planning out or doing something. So you're planning and they're like, well, Quill's probably going to get caught. Yeah, then you can do violence, right? Yes, violence. I find them really comical, that opening panel. Because it, it's just a tiny little drawing. It's just in there. It's almost like it's an aside. It did. This one was total foreshadow because it totally played out that way because Quill totally got caught. Captured. Of course. So they're attacking a prison planet. They're basically saying that we don't have anyone on our side no one's gonna come back us up no one's gonna bail us out barda f you to them basically you're not gonna happen and we're gonna do this we have to get someone out of there we're gonna attack this planet and you know rocket Groot have their thing kitty does this peter can do that probably gonna get captured if it comes down to it drax and gamora violent okay sounds pretty cool so it goes to panels of this planet and they're being attacked and they're like oh my god what's going on it's just the guardians how are they doing this to an entire planet yeah how is a band of space pirates attacking an entire planet do they have anyone's help? No, they don't have anyone's help. How is this happening? 
happening? And if you can't see me, radio people, I'm totally flailing my arms as if I'm one of these aliens. It goes on for a few panels, basically the same thing. The head muckety muck of the planet dude is like freaking out and everyone's like trying to tell him what's going on. You see explosions and people running in the background and mayhem. So then basically what something explodes and jumps down from the planet, it's Drax and Gamora. They basically are saying like, surrender, we're going to get you to Drax. And I love it. They're like, don't taunt him. <laughs> kill him. Just yeah. kill him. Don't make it worse. <laughs> so he, they're kicking butt and being really badass. And then it cuts away to Gamora being captured. You don't know what happened to anyone else. And basically they have Drax is totally has someone's head in a lock and is threatening them. And th- then it cuts away and Gamora's captured. I found this scene very interesting. This is where it actually started to get a lot of my attention because it made me very tense. At first, I'm like, oh, she's just playing it up because they've it's kind of one of their typical moves to be captured to basically as a way to infiltrate the facility that they want to get into and then someone breaks them up. Reminds me a lot of Black Widow. They've done that one before where it's it was Quill and Rocket basically sharing stories. It was that one that was like the fake stories. Oh, right. Poke them out of the back of like the pl- using plumbing or something, but they had themselves captured. I thought originally that's what this was. That was like their, their plan. Because, you know, Gamora looks like kind of concerned and scared. I'm like, that's not typical for her. But it ended up making sense as it went along. But the guy basically has like this sharp needle-like metal thing. And it's like right oh, at her oh, eye. Oh. And that just made me incredibly tense and uncomfortable. I'm like, can we get past this? What's going to happen? Because it kept getting there. And it was making me... And they keep doing close-ups of it, of how close it is to her eye. Yeah, and how sharp it is. It worked. I was just like, it made me all on edge and intense. And I'm like, okay. But basically what it turns down to is she starts talking. You know, she's like, I have information for you. That basically kind of like, it seems like a last ploy to like try to save herself, as it were. Which seems totally out of character for her. So I was like, what's going on? Starts talking about the Black Vortex, which was a huge story arc not too long ago. Huh, they're bringing that back in? Okay. That's where she got like the power cosmic, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I thought that had been basically over and done with by now. But I like how they were brought in. So basically she starts talking about it and she's like, and I touched it. And he's like, you did what? (laughs) The guy's kind of putting the pieces together. But by the time he does, it's too late. Basically. Yeah. (laughs) Basically says, I have a little left. (laughs) The last bit of cosmic juice kicking ass, basically. That was such a badass panel. Yeah. (laughs) And basically this whole time, like we know who, what you're here for and what you're looking for. And how, how did you know it was here? And where's Thanos? You're his spawn. And he'll bring a paternal instincts in him to come get you because we want him rah rah sorry we want to bring thanos to this party who says that no one wants thanos (laughs) you crazy little fools you're scared about 12 men who took over your planet and yet you want to bring thanos you weren't even prepared for these fuckers yeah you're gonna bring a god in the mad titan never helps (laughs) you weren't prepared for these chuckleheads which i love these chuckleheads but they are (laughs) chuckleheads and you want thanos to come in are you kidding me? Somehow, with all that, they have the person who they're looking for. Ba-ba-bum! Angela. Yeah. Yes. So she's sitting in there, and her and Gamora have a cute little, like, back and forth. And then, and then all of a sudden, Drax comes carrying, oh, I got her stuff! So he comes in, he drops her armor on her. And there's a couple sexy panels of her getting dressed, like you do. I thought that was pretty hot right there. It's like, oh, that's how it goes on. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? It's like, don't I bought your, like, bustier and your thigh-high boots. We're good to go. They were there to get Angela and to rescue her. Then they go, well, 
oh, it's here. And they're like, well, that's where we're going next. I think they're going to get Peter, right? That's where they're going next. Peter did get captured like they joked he would. And they said, well, where'd they move him to? And they said, that's where they're going next. That's correct. Thank you. I knew it was something like, it was something important. Oh, maybe the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. I fucking love this issue. I mean, this is exactly what you go to Guardians Galaxy for. It was fucking hilarious for starters. The entire issue was just great. There's funny scenes. Badass, huge fight throughout pretty much the whole damn comic book. It's just, it's so larger than fucking life and funny and like the way they draw the expressions on the bad guys, you know, like, cause they're freaking out. Cause they're like, what the fuck are these guys <laughs> doing? I mean, how could you really go wrong with this? I mean, you've got badass fights. You got Drax and Gamora in there just whooping the ass. Yeah, it was just great. Guardians of the Galaxy kind of seems like it's a little bit of something for everybody, you know, because it's like it's got some storyline. It's got some comedy. It's got some brawn, some badass shit that happens. And sexy ladies. Got the hot and sexy ladies for sure. I mean, it's got a little bit of something for everybody. I don't understand how you couldn't like it. I really like it. I think Brian Michael Bendis knows how to write a really good tale. I was really glad to see Angela in here. I was disappointed when uh, Angela, Queen of Hell, ended. You know, I'd grown to really like that character. So if she's going to be part of the Guardians now, that's that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The thing I liked about the action scenes was not only totally badass, like, one-on-one fights, but you have these, like, giant ships, like, crashing into buildings <laughs> and, like, all this mm-hmm. super crazy epic stuff happening in the background also. <laughs> it's just, like, background chaos. Yeah. don't really know what happens, but since we know the characters, you know it's yeah. mostly Rocket. It's, it's Rocket yeah. and Groot doing something. Yeah, it's Rocket doing something. It's like planetary size shit hit the fucking fan. <laughs> <laughs> it's Rocket and Groot and the thing and, yeah. you know, Spawn doing... And then that, that scene where Gamora mm-hmm is being tortured or really more interrogated with like the threat of torture with that needle being held up to her eye oh that just hits that ick spot that i think people naturally have where you want to protect your eyes so i thought that was really like and it was so close to her eye i'm like if you blink you're gonna hit that that needle i enjoyed it i thought it had like rory was saying a good mix of action both big scale and you know close-up fights you had some good dialogue you had parts that were genuinely terrifying parts that were funny you had a nice reveal for it. I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought this was a really good issue of Guardians. When I first read the Black Vortex art, I couldn't quite yet accept Angela in the Marvel Universe. I know they've been seeding her more and more, but I could never get her detached from Spawn that much. It was really hard for me to adjust the, her move. And I know the, the whole back reasons basically why she's in the Marvel Universe now. More and more feels more natural, I think, the way they're writing, the way she's moving in, that she's integrated into the cosmic Marvel Universe. And I definitely think she fits well i kind of had some reservations during the whole black vortex arc but i'm getting more comfortable with it now and i definitely think reading queen of hell helped you know because it more established who she is in this continuity i gave it a good four and a half of course quill gets captured i'll do that (laughs) give it four needles in the eye Ah. i'm with you carissa i love the shit out of this i mean great artwork great story uh just great action great fucking humor great everything you need so this is definitely for me this is a four and a half very poor choice of words more space operas and more ladies we like ladies and space operas that's what i'm all about so we've got darth vader number 21 marvel comics written by kieran gillen art by salvador la rocha colors by edgar delgado going back star wars run that we've had with senor vader you know i keep on going back and forth because it's like the star wars ones it's like either i love them or they fucking hate them 
And this one, mm-hmm. I actually really, I enjoyed quite a bit when I was running through it. There's just a lot of good scenes in this one. But I think that's kind of been typical of the Vader run. So you start off with Vader, and he's met up with this uh, professor who had survived the destruction of the Death Star. I guess he must have taken an escape capsule or something so you know vader like is basically like twisting his arm and threatening him you know that he doesn't want to have something turning his reputation with being friends with this dr silo that vader's looking for you know later on they've got you know vadership is the the executor right no that that's that's the emperor's i think his is the devastator right kind of sounds right. No, I think his is the Executor. That was a pretty badass drawing of a, yeah. of a Star Destroyer, though. I mean, when, yeah, when the ship comes in, it was just like, oh man, look at that. It's clean, it's exquisite, it looks like looks like an actual mechanical drawing. You fast forward to on this planet, you have Dr. Aphra. We're big fans of Dr. Aphra. So, Dr. Aphra's hanging out in a bar. Uh, then you have the, our dark evil droid friend show up. BT and Triple Zero. Oh god, this is my one of my favorite parts of it. Of course, it's hard not to with, with these fucking... I love them! They show up, and there's like this old man staying there. He's like, I'll warn you, droids aren't too popular out here. And he's like, dare say I can... They'll be considerably less popular by the time we're finished. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god. I fucking laughed so hard when I saw that. That was hilarious. It's just like, it's so smarmy and fucking hilarious. And just hearing it in like C-3PO's voice. Oh my God. Because yeah, he's impersonated 3PO before. <laughs> oh God, that's great. So then they're like, you know, they're holding up the old man. And he's like, oh, they're in the bar. And then they shoot him down and pull out a bunch of droids. And it's like, all right, fuck this place up. The old man's like, well, I might have the information, but you know, what can you pay me? And they're like, well, would you yeah. like to live? <laughs> and then he's like, well, you lived a little bit longer. <laughs> oh God. The lines, and my favorite thing about these two characters is the lines they spit out are just fucking hilarious. All right, sir, murder droids show up. Aphra's sitting inside, and she starts hearing gunshots going, or blaster fire going off. So she uh, looks out and sees droids sitting there just going to town, and she's like, oh, triple zero, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does refer to her as master like he keeps saying it i love the fact that she tries to pull in the whole master card and is like oh i'm your master and he's like well my other master <laughs> he's like give me a priority command exactly he's like you know i'll i'll be your master when i'm good and well finished it's like he's like the the most disobedient droid on earth and i love that but she's smart though <laughs> she knew how to play it though the interesting thing was when the, the uh, space combat broke out later on you have vader who's like chasing down these this silo that he's been looking for so they're kind of like they've got these weird i don't know if you want to call them like whale like yeah, they're like weird biomechanical spaceships and stuff. And so they see Vader coming out of hyperspace. He's like, oh, we're going to use Plan 917. Oh, make that 917-A or whatever it was. One of the ships turns around and goes after Vader's ship, hits it with like an ion blast, which disables it. Oh, we've got you, Vader. And then it turns out that he's like, no. <laughs> you are mistaken. <laughs> Again, this is kind of his thing. He flies his ship into their ship and lands. And then, of course, one of the people had already been ready for him, one of the scientists... He's inside this biomechanical ship. They have like this showdown, you know, of words and stuff like that, where she's like, oh, you know, you were able to beat cyber animate Trandoshan, but, you know, let's see if you could do it. Fortunately, we could do it with all these other things. And then there's this big giant one that they're throwing at him. It's like, well, you're going to find out the hard way, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like when they made the twins who have fake force powers. I think that's what they did to this. I think it's a Rancor. I'm not sure. but Yeah, it kind of looks like a weird colored Rancor. 
Rancor. And the twins were interesting. So a Rancor with force powers, that that could be an interesting fight. You know how it's kind of going to go. That's like the whole thing with these new Star Wars series, the prequels. Well, we know he's not in any real danger. <laughs> yeah, it's, True. it's Darth Vader. You know, I mean, you could throw some Force Rancor against him, but he's still like the most powerful user of the Force that's out there. But I think that's kind of why they just kind of go for it, because even while it's predictable, they just still make it fun. Yeah, exactly. I thought the murder droids were great. The drawings of the ships look amazing. Vader is just a stone-cold badass, which I, I really enjoy. This was great. Good plot, nice interactions between characters. I like that even though this is a Darth Vader book, he actually isn't in the book that much. And when he is, it's very menacing and minimal words from him, just like in the movies, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like, his actual screen time in the Star Wars movies is not very big, but when he shows up, it's a hell of an impression. Yeah, exactly. Like, 90% of his role is just pure intimidation, and then when he actually does do something, you're going to see he's the biggest badass in the, you know, in the galaxy. Of all the Star Wars ones that are currently out, Darth Vader continues to be hands above the other one. It is just so well done. They stick, they stick to the character, He's authentic. He's believable. It feels like him. It's like it's not overdone. They don't overuse him. I just love Dr. Aphra. Any issue that has an extended amount of time with Triple Zero and BT, <laughs> I love. They have made this series for me. Some of my favorite new entered Star Wars Universe characters. They are just amazing. They just love how opposite they are. Their dialogue is fantastic and funny and like you're, you're you're cheering for them like they're those bad guys for, like yeah because yeah! <laughs> they're clever and they're dark after that then i love dr afra i feel bad because you know it's not gonna go well for her you just know it is but she is an intel she is an intelligent strong female character she doesn't need a guy or anything like that she don't need no man she don't need no man She's not overly <laughs> sexualized, but she is sexy. She's just badass, and I love it. Yeah, she's one of my favorite, not only Star Wars characters created, but I think she's one of the best created characters. And those droids, too. I mean, they're, they're Yeah, they are a package deal. deal. They're just really but great. Again, characters. them together, I love it. I was like, I can't say enough about... They've made that series, in my opinion. Vader is done Agreed. well, and the drawings are amazing totally. and great. But the reason why I feel so strongly about it are those three new characters, which I wouldn't have expected at all from Star Wars. You go into it thinking, I'm going to love my characters, the characters totally. I love, especially something that's a prequel, which includes a universe still with Vader, Han, Leia, you know, etc. Those are what you go into expect. I love these characters. And I think that is a huge compliment coming from someone who's a huge Star Wars fan and doesn't like change like me. <laughs> I can't <laughs> I want where... I'm going to give it four and a half. You are mistaken. I gave it also four and a half. What were your exact orders? I'm with you guys on it being four and a half. It seemed really short to me. So I'm going to give it four first rules of protocol droids. Basically all the droid love coming from this side over here. While DC's doing their rebirth, they're also doing the rebirth of all their Hanna-Barbera stuff. So we have Wacky Racelands number one from DC Comics, written by Ken Pontac, art by Leonardo Menko, colors by Mariana Sansone. So this book is <laughs> crazy. I read it the first time through, and I was like, I can't tell if I liked that or hated that. I, I can't tell. It was so different than what I was expecting. So I had to go back and reread it and kind of sort my way through it, because it's completely different. That's a good way to say it. It is completely different than anything I've read before. Basically, if you took Wacky Racers, the old Hanna-Barbera cartoon, and Mad Max, and what's that movie with gonzo journalists with the drugs? What? Hunter S. Thompson. Fear and Loathing? 
Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Fear and Loathing, and threw them all in a blender along with like a bunch of peyote. I think this is what you would get. Wacky Racers is nuts. So it's basically, if you remember the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons, this is like an updated version of that that takes place in basically in the apocalypse. You have all of your, you know, your characters. You have like Dick Dastardly, and you have Muttley, and you have, you know, Penelope, and Peter Perfect, and the Gruesome Twosome, and, you know, all those characters, along with their sentient cars that have been all been like rescued by the narrator and given the AI so that the cars are also sentient and they're racing through the apocalypse. And then the winner of all the races is going to be going to be saved basically. The art in this is just is gorgeous. It really is. There are drawings of the car. Like, I'm not a big car guy, but I want to give this... Rory, you and I both have a friend who restores uh, cars, and I want to show him these pictures of these cars because they are really great. You know, they, they can draw cars really well. And the character designs are really interesting. So they're, they're racing through the apocalypse, and there's this attack by these centipedes that come up that they all have to fight against, and then Penelope lands her car on the back of one of them and uses it to race through to the end. And that's how she wins the race. You know, Dick Dastardly is upset with, he's like, if I had done that, everyone would say I was cheating, but everyone, you know, says you're really smart. That's not very fair. I, I liked it. I thought the characters' designs for this was really interesting. I really enjoyed it. It was very different and not really what I was expecting. There's also a backup story in here called Sometimes the Bear Eats You, which I think stands completely apart from any Wacky Racers thing. Like, if you don't care about Wacky Racers, you should read this backup story. It's awesome. It's basically kind of like The Revenant meets, like, Deliverance. It's really, really good. It's basically the story of a bear attack during the apocalypse, and it's pretty spectacular. This one, I really want to hear what what you thought about it, Carissa. I wasn't sure if I loved it or hated it. I was very confused. Like, I was like, not what I expected at all. I did like Dastardly and Muttley. I thought they were the best out of the redesigns. I liked their thing. They draw post-apocalyptic Mad Max-esque really well. It is really well executed. Like, yes. impressively so. So if you're a Mad Max fan, I would recommend this just for that. I don't know if I like it or I'm still very confused by it. I'm impressed. <laughs> and yet I still feel like I'm going, huh? Like, I'm just like, kudos to whoever thought this up. That is taking a twist on something and just going with it. I will say this. This will be the two ninety nine for the issue that you've spent that you will have something that you've never seen before. Yeah. Good or bad, you're no, going to remember Wacky no, Race that's totally a legit thing to say. It, I would <laughs> say give it a shot. I, I mean, it's worth the first read just to see where they took this because it is not expected. I can see people who were going into it expecting like a more true to the series, original series-esque and being very like WTF, you know? and not liking it and not giving it a chance based on that. I think if you're a little bit more open and not a hardliner, but really appreciate creative retellings of things that you like, you know, a nice like kickback and nod to, this would probably be the book for you and that you would really appreciate that. This made me want a mature audience's animated series based on this. I just have a really high respect when people take something and reimagine it and do it really creatively and well and in a unique way. That is where I like it comes in. Even that alone, if I knew nothing about Hanna-Barbera and any of those characters, sure, the names would be confusing if I didn't. The whole Mad Max thing is just amazing. It's Like I said, it's done yes. really well. This is the comic book equivalent of that. There's that scene in Mad Max where the guy's playing the guitar with like the flames shooting out of it. And you're like, what the hell is that? Yeah. That's awesome. But you know, I, I can't quite process that. The 
the first time through. That's what this book is. I gave this four mean machines. I'm a little bit less on that because I'm still, I didn't give it a couple read-throughs like you did. I think I probably need to. Based on the original read, I'm going to give it a three and a half dastardlies. Whole bunch of rebirth. Yeah, and somehow I got stuck with Action Comics number 957, DC comic, written by Dan Jurgens and art by Patrick Zercher and colors by Tomeo Mori. So this is Superman. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> well, yes, it is a Superman. Yes. Right? Superman died. There's the alternate reality Superman who's older and I think less bro. He's there with Lois and their kid and they're trying to move on. They're watching the news and they see Lex. Like Lex made an outfit which to me looks like if you mushed Iron Man and Superman together in one outfit. It's like Steel and (laughs) Iron Man and Superman together. Floating around and he's doing his press thing. How like He was my friend and I will take up his thing in remembrance of him. Lex knows how to play people really well. He was playing to the audience and doing his Lex thing. They're at home and they're watching the news. This other Superman from this other dimension is like, no, 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 no. I know who Lex is. I can't allow that to happen. How dare he sully his name? And they try to go, well, he might not be the same Lex. He's like, no, no, no. I know it. That is not going to happen. He gets his suit and he's like, I'm going to go be suit. So he flies over there and basically they're still doing this press conference thing. And he flies in. He's like, I'm not dead. And he's doing the whole folding his arms and floating in the air next to him like typical Superman look. Yes. This is where it gets a little confusing because of the way the panels were drawn. And you might have seen something that okay. I didn't. I almost see it how Superman saw it where he feels that Lex provoked him, turned it in a way to get him to look like he attacked him first. Yes. Where... Superman went to go grab the thing. To shield, like rip it off his chest. Rip it off his chest and basically got zotted. But Lex flew back and basically Lex is feigning and think, oh my god, I was attacked. You're really not the real Superman. How dare you solely my dead friend's name. Well, that's when he like, he turns to the crowd. He's like, this imposter won't, you know, ruin his image. Because I mean, you gotta remember, Lex was a member of the Justice League in the New 52. In this world. And in the classic Superman that most of, like at least I know, you're in the mentality and knowledge base of this other older Superman. But even in the the old one, Lex has never been a public villain. He's always been really good at, like he did with this, turning Superman Mm -hmm. the crowd against him. But I'm talking about based on this Kal-El, you know, his knowledge. Why he was so powered to go and stop him from doing this is because of his knowledge of his lack. And so basically, yeah, he basically turns them all against him and it shows us, it flashes back to Lois and their kid watching this all go down. Her saying how we always knew he was going to take it back up. We knew that that was going to happen. Which I thought was really interesting. Even though she believed that this was always going to happen, she still was willing to try and make this life like a normal for themselves. Well, and then at the end, the thing that they were breaking into the bank to get was not the the bank robbers that Lex foiled were just the distraction. What they really were going after was Doomsday, who was in another area. Oh, that's another thing that got confused. So Jimmy sees Clark Kent? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. That part was confusing to me. I don't know who that is. That like the Martian Manhunter pretending to be Clark Kent, maybe, or is it, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of Superman and Clarks running around in this issue. Yeah, I wasn't sure what was going on there. Okay, I don't think that one came. I don't think the original one came back to life, and I could have understood the other <laughs> one being mistaken for Clark, but he's currently over there fighting with Lex. So yeah. <laughs> to me, this is like a, a big retelling of Death of Superman because the exact same thing happens after Death of Superman. 
again, you know? Well, but, I said that in our last episode. I was like, if they bring in the long-haired one, and I mentioned all the old ones that came in afterwards. Yeah, the Reign of the Superman, yeah. I mentioned that. I'm like, if they start doing that again, I'm like, what the hell? It's almost the same setup, because it's like you got Lex, who's, you know, got his super robo suit, which makes him, you know, comparable to Superman. You have an actual Superman from a different, from a different universe, mm-hmm. and then... We have Clark Kent showing up, who I'm not sure what what angle they're going to take with him, you know, whether he's going to be normal or maybe he's going to be, you know, hasn't realized the superpowers or something like that or, you know, I don't know. But it's like I'm seeing the same, a very strong parallel between the, the old yeah. Death of Superman You're characters. not wrong. I've, I definitely agree. I said that too. Yep. It's like they got they got Superman's all over this bitch. <laughs> I mean, there were parts I really I liked about this. Um, in the beginning, where you know Lex is going to fight the robbers, and you're not sure who it is at first. I thought that was pretty cool. That like picture of uh, like the black yes. Superman logo that he has. I thought that was pretty cool. I like the parts of the family life with uh, you know Clark and Lois and their kid. I thought those were were nice little panels. There's an image of Superman flying away from the the farm basically, and that looks like a Christopher Reeve poster from like a Superman movie to me. As classic yeah. Superman as you can get, pretty much. And I also like there's this idea that I think they're going here with uh, Lex Luthor, where he's basically kind of playing to like the crowd's fear, where he's like, "I'm here to keep you safe. I'll continue Superman's legacy." I like that with Luthor. You never really know is he i mean he's obviously a very selfish person but is he is he bad who does good things or is he you know it's very hard to figure him out Mm -hmm. like what makes someone a villain is it you know their heart and their mind which for luther is you know rotten as can be or is it their actions which for luther are not always bad you know like i said he was part of the justice league he has saved the world many times the idea that superman is a menace that needs to be contained i mean superman has been mind controlled many times you know he's not that's not the craziest idea in the world, so I find him to be a very <laughs> complex character. Plus, there was cool punching and fighting and all of that. I liked it a lot. I thought I think the story is very compelling. I think it's interesting. It, it makes me want to read on more, which I'm not a big Superman fan, so that's saying a lot. You know, there's parts of this comic book that I really love. You know, like you know, you got Lex Luthor showing up all chromed out in his Superman suit. You know, looking badass. I definitely thought that was cool. A cool shot. There's a lot of really cool cinematic shots in this that they get right. That part I really enjoy. You know, most of this thing I was just they're going, man, they really did a good job with. And then it's like you get to the end, Doomsday comes out, and Doomsday looks like he... That was like my only like real bitch with this one. If I hadn't seen the cover with Doomsday having that stuff like ripped off of him, I would not have known that's Doomsday. Yeah. I mean, he looks like he's basically like just a, a standard comic book mook in that you know it's like it looks like bane mm-hmm. yeah but like a really ghetto shit like shitty bane <laughs> it's like the knockoff of bane spelled differently yeah bargain store bane <laughs> blaine yeah it's like bane's cousin that they only let hang around because he's a family member <laughs> great wayne's here that part for the big reveal i don't know i don't i'm assuming that they you know brought him back from the dead or whatever so for some reason like because they did the same thing with like super patriot back in the days like when they had super patriot come back in like image you know that's like they had him in this weird suit where he's got a mask on and the same kind of eye goggles and you know it's like for some reason once you die when they bring you back they have to put you in a fucking trash bag <laughs> so honestly that's the only thing i could complain about though the, the like the story is really good really compelling the artwork was just i except for goddamn doomsday everything else in this story you could really get into i mean the the characters make very sincere faces there's, there's just awesome fight scenes all around this just was great very cinematic the way this artwork was done and the story's great too i mean you can't really miss out until you see doomsday in his trash bag at the end so <laughs> 
I mean, but other than that, I'm pretty happy with it. <laughs> I think if you really like Superman, this is probably a comic for you. So I give it, give me that shield. This was so close to being a four for me, you know, just because of the story and the artwork. And they killed it with the lame interpretation of Doomsday. Like I said, the, the story's great. They did a great job. Great artwork. Just that, that very end, that character design. I'm, I hate seeing that particular design on characters because it's so lame. And it doesn't really, you know, even if it's going to get ripped off later and then he's going to go around crazy. It's like, why do we have to resort back to that? I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it three and three quarters garbage bags. I will give it four Superman shields. I had Wonder Woman Rebirth number one, also from DC Comics, written by Greg Rucka, art by Liam Sharp, pencils by Matthew Clark, inks by Sean Parsons, colors by Jeremy Caldwell and Laura Martin. There's a lot of artists on here because this is basically two kind of two stories at one time, which is how the Wonder Woman book is going to be anyway. This was one of the ones that I was most excited for, but it's not the actual creative team that's going to be on the book, so it's kind of hard to judge this. Yeah, I don't like that they do that. If you're going to do the Rebirth, have it be with the goddamn, with the creative team, with the artist that's going to be on the book, so you know if you're going to continue to read it or not. So basically, this is taking the kind of the problem of one woman have like having like mm-hmm. 600 origin stories and kind of trying to incorporate that all together. Her memories are all screwed up, and she doesn't know where she came from. So they do kind of like three-panel retelling of her origin stories, where they keep showing you different versions of what's happened to her, and she's not sure which one it is. And then she starts, they cut to a scene where she goes into this, I don't know if it's like a porn producer or a strip club or I don't know what it is, but she goes there and she rescues a bunch of women who are being exploited there and is basically kicking ass. And she's talking about the name that they've given her, you know, Wonder Woman. Like, what does that mean? And at first she used to think, you know, wonder means awe. And that was what they meant when when they called her that, that they were in awe of her and, you know, really impressed with her. But then now she's starting to think that it means that they don't understand. They wonder what she is and how she can be. She's kind of got all this self-doubt going on. There's this, the helmet of air uh, when she became the god of war that she's able to crush with her hand which she you know realizes she shouldn't be able to do because this was supposed to be made by Hephaestus you know and it's supposed to be indestructible so then there's this part that's really kind of weird where she takes the lasso and starts like interrogating mm-hmm. herself which <laughs> is weird the scene where she's wrapping the lasso around her arm she looks like a junkie like tying off before she's like injecting herself yeah, that artwork was weird. Like, she would go from being drawn really pretty to, like, her reflection being really, like, haggard looking. It was odd. Yeah, well, that whole thing when she shatters the mirror and you can see all the different panels, other, like, famous Wonder Woman stories uh, in there. So basically, she's using the lasso to interrogate herself. <laughs> Which, okay, I was under the impression that the lasso made you tell the truth, that the lasso doesn't necessarily know, like, universal truth. You know what I mean? That it can't make you say something that you don't actually know. So that was a little confusing to me. Like, does she know in, like, her subconscious that she's been deceived and, you know, all these things? Or is the lasso now able to discern the truth of the universe? That was a little confusing for me. So then she goes to to Mount Olympus to question everyone. And Olympus is all kind of, looks like, destroyed and, like, kind of overrun. And she fights some of the creations of Hephaestus, like the machines there. And she basically swears that she's going to learn the truth. So this one was really uneven for me. There were parts of it that the different artists, I think, I think what they're trying to prepare you for is the Wonder Woman run is going to alternate its issues with storylines. So I think that they're trying maybe to show you that with there being two different artists in here. 
here, but the transitions are are not very good between the two. Overall, I was I was actually really disappointed with this one, and I was really looking forward to it. I want to give the actual Wonder Woman series a try because I I'm really excited about that creative team, and I just wish DC had actually stuck the people on this book that are going to be doing the book, so we could have judged it a little better. But that was my kind of my thoughts on it. It was kind of a mess. Okay, not being a huge DC fan, I only know like fundamental basics of a lot of their characters. But I've always enjoyed Wonder Woman. I think I like this one out of all the DC ones better. But I agree, it was very disjointed and confusing. Even though that was said, like I thought it was interesting. I think I could see where that what they were trying to accomplish. So I'm a little bit more forgiving in that way. I don't think they succeeded at what they were trying to accomplish. Another part that I thought was really confusing that you didn't mention, like before as she's like making her way to get going to Olympus. She like is like taking off her uniform. You see her like draw dropping her like her headband and stuff like that and you're like, oh is she getting away with like the uniform and then she puts like one on that looks almost exactly the same. I'm like so what was the point of that? You were just changing your clothes? I thought, first I thought well, maybe she's like, I'm getting away of this super sexiness. I, this is not who I am. That's kind of the feel I was getting from it, right? She's changing from her superhero costume into like her original golden age, like Amazonian costume, basically. Yeah, but it looks almost identical. <laughs> right. It's just she added a cape and instead of it being silver, parts of it were gold. <laughs> I was just like, but other than that, it was, looked almost exactly the same. And I'm like, okay. Maybe her head shield was getting sweaty. Maybe. You never know. But like this the way the flow of that panel like you know this is a lie and this is a lot right i thought like maybe she thought like right so you expect her to change into something really dramatic i'm not gonna be objectified anymore or something right i thought like maybe there's... let me put on an even shorter <laughs> skirt <laughs> yeah that's like I was, okay like I'm like i didn't see the point of that actually after that i was just, okay first i thought they were trying to make a statement with that and i'm like no they just wanted to have her change clothes. Okay, that's fine, but they made it seem like they were there was a point, a purpose to it, and I, there wasn't. Yeah, her being kind of confused, you definitely feel confused, so if they were trying to make you feel like Diana, then uh, they succeeded. <laughs> the drawings are very disjointed. There were, like I said, there was panels where I thought she was drawn very beautifully. And I'm like, wow, pretty. And other times that, like, I don't know if they just, like, decided to half-ass it in her reflections or what. Or maybe they were trying to show the duality of it, but she seemed really haggard mm-hmm. and a different person in other parts. And I just, the drawings didn't seem consistent. Some of the drawings of the eyes in these panels are fucked up. Yeah. Like, they don't look right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. There's parts, there's certain drawings of her where she looks really good and other ones where she doesn't look right. And I just wasn't sure if that was intentional or a mistake. I think the one in the mirror is intentional, and I think the others are mistakes. So, I don't know. I mean, not the mirror where it's shattering. I get that one. But there's other ones where she's, like, seeing reflections and stuff. But I was intrigued by it. Like, I wanted to know what was going on. And I think out of all of them, out of all the DC ones, this kept my attention more than all the other ones. But it was confusing. So maybe it kept my attention because I was so confused and I was trying to figure it out. Like, what is this riddle that you've given me? (laughs) What is happening? (laughs) The riddle of the deep thinks, yeah. So I gave it uh, two and a half lassos of truth. Gave it two and a half. This is a lie. All right. Okay, so we've got Detective Comics number 934, DC Comics, written by James uh, Tinian IV, uh, pencils by Eddie Barrows, inks by Evan Fiera, colors by Adriana Lucas. We start off with Asriel is having, is in the middle of a fight here, and I thought it was Batman that he was fighting with at first. 
but we're not really sure for for certain who he's fighting with. Some sort of mysterious mysterious figure. Azrael gets like electrocuted and like knocked cold. Batman comes swinging in and has Alfred run like a thermal trace trying to find out who's here. Then at one point or another, he notices some sort of uh, drone that has been watching him. And he starts questioning. That makes sense more now. I look at it again. You know, he's asking Azrael, like, who did this to you? And he's like, you did. And then there's some mysterious figure watching a screen later on going, hey, 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 we have Bat. Is this Batwoman or Batgirl? It's Batwoman. Okay. Because that always gets confusing sometimes. <laughs> I thought it was Batwoman, but I, I just realized as I was looking at it, I was like, are we sure which one that is? Yeah, this is Batwoman. Batwoman's out and, you know, she's just gotten done, you know, fighting some crime and what not and you see another one of these they're they're little like bat winged drones running around it's like filming her she's talking to her dad on the, on the phone he's talking about how you know she's it's like you're combat trained you're a soldier you're 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 better in a team than you are on your own and she's kind of like yeah whatever dad and then as she's you know getting out of her you know costume and into her you know her comfy clothes for home she all of a sudden is like, I know you're there, da, 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 and she like grabs a hold of whoever it is. You picked the wrong house, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. Turns out it's Batman. You know, Batman being a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> Batman's got one of those drones and shows it to her and is like, hey, I want you to take a look at this. So he basically brings up to her that somebody's been watching basically all of the vigilantes out in Gotham that are fighting crime and whatnot, and he's letting them know that it's like, you know, we're, we're kind of all in trouble here because basically that's like whoever it is, is is looking for everyone. So Batman tells her that he wants, he needs to assemble a team, but, you know, of course Batman's not, you know, Batman's a loner, so he doesn't really work well on a team, but he's like, that one, he's like, you know, it's the exact opposite way. Then he reveals himself as Bruce Wayne. He's like, hey, we're family. <laughs> She's like, I knew. <laughs> yeah, which that was hilarious. It, it makes you wonder. It's like how many people are like, yeah, oh yeah, it's his secret identity. <laughs> How many people are just humoring the crazy man who beats up people for fun? (laughs) Exactly. That was like the first thing that ran through my head is like, who else knows who he is in, you know, in this particular telling of Batman? You know, they go around and they snatch up some of the other crime fighters that are out there. Uh, One of them's the spoiler, who is the uh, daughter of Clue Master. The other one is, of course, Red Robin. Which, oh, yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Red Robin. <laughs> I'd never heard of him referred to before as Red Robin, so when they first said that, I was like, yum. <laughs> He's probably my favorite Robin. I really like Tim Drake. Hey, that's my favorite burger joint, so <laughs> as far as chains go. So, sponsors. <laughs> Tim Drake is definitely a badass Robin. He's got Robin selected, and that's going to be like Batwoman's lieutenant. You've got, okay, so has she been around before? Because they have uh, Cassandra Kane. Who yes. is orphan? I'd never seen her before, so that yeah, was new. she is uh, part of like the League of Assassins. Oh, um, but she's like she doesn't speak. She speaks through. She's really good at reading people's body language. Like that's how she communicates. Gotcha. She's one of the best fighters in the world. Figured that one out because when Batman's like, he's like, you know, talking about how like she could be better than any of us. That's a that's high praise from Batman right there. Yes. When he's telling somebody else that she's badass and like, and uh, she could be the best of any of us, I'm like, man. Or the most dangerous, yeah. That's some seriously high praise coming from Batman. So right off the bat, I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. And then uh, of all people, it was kind of an interesting one, uh, was uh, they find Clayface. And Clayface is sitting in a movie theater. Everybody's like freaking out and running out and shit. Because uh, Clayface is sitting in his natural form watching one of his old movies and then so batman and batwoman show up and 
they basically like appeal to his human side because you know you you could be more than what you are you know i like that particular twist yeah that you you're not like bad you've had bad things happen to you yeah exactly you know it's like because he is a sympathetic character it's like you know think about how much life would suck if you were like this good-looking actor like it's like you're the the brad pitt or the george clooney of the 90s or whatever and then you turned into mud man <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's that's a pretty shitty fate. I thought that was a really nice little scene. It was really quiet and kind of very character, went to the core of that character. That was really good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, especially because the Batman villains, a lot of them are so, at times they can be so zany and, and out of, you know, especially because a lot of them are, you know, basically like Silver Age, Silver Age creations. A lot of them are still kind of out there if you think about it through a modern lens. But to see Carlo Bessel and how he's, they're showing like a human side to him because, I mean, if you, he's basically been turned into a monster, you know, and his entire life is ruined. And so it's like, what else do you have left but to be just horrible and you know they appeal to his human side and they're like hey you know you've you've got more than this you don't have to be just some scumbag doing bad things so i thought that was a really good scene right there for sure and then they you know have the bat signal and you know later on they're on the rooftops and uh batwoman's basically sitting there and telling them how you know you're gonna have to keep up and blah blah blah. she's and she's gonna push them to their limits i thought that was a really cool scene too is it i like the part where they all do all their little like bat and grappling hook things to like swing off you know throughout the city (laughs) and like clayface is like (laughs) left behind and he's like how am i supposed to do that (laughs) he's like wait a minute (laughs) <laughs> so I don't know how to do that. <laughs> that was a that that was a good funny scene. They're beginning their training and stuff, and then you see another one of these uh, bat drones flying around. They just give you just enough to really reel you in, but it's like I want so much more out of this. I don't know. I'm pretty excited about this. Out of all the uh, rebirths, I think I don't know if this is necessarily my favorite one, but it's up there for sure. It was really good. I'm excited about it. Of course, we're both huge Batman fans, so we're kind of biased. But, well, yeah, what did you think about it? I really liked it. I thought it brought a lot of characters that I like uh, back. Like, when I read the part with Asriel, I'm like, oh, Rory's the person, actually, who told me about Asriel. So, <laughs> and, like, explained him to me, like, many, many years ago. Yeah. I like each of the characters. Like, you got to really see who each character is and why Batman, you know, wants them for his team, like what they're good at. Yes. And I just, I really like this one. I think it set the stage really well. I thought it was really interesting. It had moments of quiet character moments. It had nice action. It had, you know, awesome scenes of Batman, like leaping through like, you know, stained glass church windows mm-hmm. and then standing on top of gargoyles on the sides of buildings and, you know, all those cool Batman images. I'm pretty excited about this one. Yeah. I really liked it. It's so cinematic, you know, and that's one of the things that I've always loved about Batman comics is that, you know, they really, you know, we talk about it with other comic books and stuff like that, how it's like they really like, it's more of a movie going on in your head than it is actually, you know, reading a a comic book or something like that. And, you know, I've always loved Batman because of how cinematic everything is and everything's so dark and, you know, mysterious. And it really sets a good tone, like, to draw you in. And this one, yeah, I definitely, I'm excited about this. I think it's going to be badass to see what they do with it. And, you know, they left that army at the end looks really awesome. <laughs> it kind of reminds me. I don't know if you remember when Batman had to go reclaim the mantle of the bat and he had to go to that 
temple and get the, like the bat mask that he wore mm-hmm. that's what those guys remind me of that's what their faces remind me of so who knows who that mysterious bad guy is yeah it's it's gonna be interesting you know because i mean they're setting it up obviously for a batman imposter and then you have the army of bats and it'll be interesting to see whether they're your just your typical bat mooks you know or whether they're going to be some sort of like badass combat ass kicking motherfuckers where it's going to be a real challenge i imagine that's what it's going to be you know since they're assembling a team and whatnot that it's like this is going to be a bigger challenge than what you typically see for any of the characters individually i'm going to give this sucker it's like what you said before it's just a little bit too short i wanted a little bit more but i mean they definitely got me hooked so i'm going to give this uh three and three quarter uh bat drones i will give this four bat signals bat signal so then uh we had aquaman you want to go talk to the fish? So I'm guilty as charged for slamming Aquaman. This one, I'm actually, I think this is probably going to be the first one where I'm actually going to give Aquaman his fair fucking chance. So uh, we've got Aquaman Rebirth number one, DC Comics, written by Dan Arnett, pencils by Scott Easton and Oscar Jimenez, uh, inks by Mark Morales and Oscar Jimenez, uh, colors by Gabe Beltab. I hope I said that right, Gabe. Sorry. So you start off with, you know, there's like a narration going on. It's, you know, the the artwork in this is actually really cool. Like the underwater artwork I, I really love is this underwater scene with like fish and stuff. And there's something that's going like super high speed through the water. And there's this narration talking about, you know, how painting a picture for like how large the ocean is, you know, how it's, you know, average depth of two and a half miles and maximum up to seven you know, 120 or 128,000 square miles of the planet's surface, you know, really paying a picture of like exactly how big the oceans are. Cause I mean, I think as humans, we really, you know, we think we understand, but I mean, it's more than what you see on the maps, basically. It's going through this little soliloquy about how, you know, you know, the ocean's so huge, and then these domains are ruled by Aquaman, and then he shows up. Aquaman is, you know, swimming through the sea at, his super fast swimming speed. He's also communicating with his land team that's at the Atlantean embassy in Massachusetts. And they're, they're talking about uh, this threat that he's going after called the deluge, um, which is basically like, they're basically like Atlantean terrorists that want to take out, they want to take out, land people land humans <laughs> i don't know how the fuck you say that dirt dwellers i think they call it. yeah so they're basically like fur to themselves as this like microorganism that's basically like a bottom feeder but in their language it's not like derogatory it's actually like something that they really respect because it keeps the oceans clean and so they're naming themselves after this thing because they're basically like considering land dwellers as scum that needs to be cleansed from the earth so they're writing these big giant crazy looking mega crocodiles and underwater dinosaurs basically which look absolutely amazing when at first when i saw them, i was like it's a giant crocodile but then i was like man that's a badass fucking crocodile and you know actually enjoyed that considerably more than i thought i would and then they basically start shit talking poor aquaman because he's you know he's half human and half atlantean he's he's dressed like a human you know, in his in his outfit and whatnot. So they, you know, have this big talk about, you know, he's like trying to talk them back, get them from uh, trying to blow up the land and whatnot. And they're like, oh, you know, you're no king of mine. A rebel type personality. One of the, the uh, crocodile is like, or the giant super crocodile is like basically strapped with explosives that they plan on. Yeah. Get- 
And just drop few bombs to them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's it, it's kind of crazy. You know, Aquaman does a good job of, like, fighting them away and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, they start going into... I thought it was interesting because they actually had a guy who was... Atlantean working in the the embassy and so he has a he has a discussion with Mara over how they're they're just doing bad shit and he's you know he's kind of like he's kind of almost with them in a certain way you know as far it looks like he's like kind of like a sympathizer to a certain extent right because he's like you know oh our king's fighting fighting against the drylanders you know and she's like no they're terrorists Mark. and you know, he's okay you know so he's having this big fight and then they're like showing it's interesting how they like mix images so much with this because they're showing his fight underneath the sea what's going on at the embassy and then they start going to uh you know, Aquaman's a superhero. Obviously, he's a member of the Justice League, and you know they've got a picture of him on like on a billboard with like Superman and Wonder Woman, and uh, everybody's like, "Oh, but he talks with fish." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they, I love how they like they keep on bringing up like how they trivialize him, but he's like he's like the one person that is like keeping the dangers of the sea from taking care of the drylanders, you know, and he does it all himself. Yeah, he's like just separates the land from the sea. So I don't know, you know, it's like I'm one of those shit talkers when it comes down to it. Let's face it, that's the way he's been portrayed for a long time. But they do show a lot of cool shit with him, you know, just basically kicking royal ass on these terrorists and knocks the teeth out of the giant super crocodile. Yeah, I like uh, that panel of like the teeth flying everywhere. After he gets done with this thing, he basically goes back to this like seafood restaurant that's on the shore and Mara meets up with him and, you know, he's talking about how, start talking about how the fish don't actually talk to him. <laughs> this was definitely, I liked it. It's funny how he keeps on poking fun of it. So I've, I actually feel bad bad for him because they're pointing out how like nobody likes Aquaman because it's like yeah, there's that line even the fish don't talk to him nobody from Atlantis likes him because he fights for the drylanders nobody you know that's on the surface likes him because he talks to fucking fish you know <laughs> but he still sits there and he does his job to take care of things and you have this big panel with Black Manta in the end you know he's sitting there talking about how he's a murderer and da 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 and he's like I'm gonna get you you know to avenge the death of his father I thought that was really awesome it's kind of it's badass yeah it's it's funny because it's like when you see the costume it kind of looks a little bit silly but the way they drew it really like took away from that silliness it made i like that close-up they had of the face of him without the oh, helmet yes. on talking yeah that close-up face right there is so lifelike you know it's just and it's just somebody like we've talked about how like villain faces are made and stuff like that this isn't a villain face at all like he looks legitimately pissed. It's like you could see the hate in his eyes. Well, I mean, Aquaman killed his yeah. father. I mean, his father was a criminal, and it was, you know, like, you know that, like, first superhero outing where you fuck up and yeah. people die? That's what made Black Manta. The whole scene at the very end, it's, like, got a lot of strength to it. The The design of Black Manta looks bad as fuck. You know, even when he gets all suited up and stuff, they show this big, huge, full, full panel uh, scene, and it's just like, yeah, this is a villain I can get behind. You know, even if his costume has got a little bit of an egghead on it. <laughs> well, that's the what makes a good villain is you understand where they're coming from. For sure. You know, I think they definitely made him relatable. I like that the whole narration, you know, is basically telling you all these things Aquaman is, you know, he's a superhero. He's, you know, the king of, you know, the vast majority of the earth. He's kind of a joke to surface dwellers. And then at the end, you have that, well, the, you know, no matter what else they say about him, I know he's a murderer. And then you realize the narrator throughout the whole thing has been yes, Black Manta. That- that's what I forgot him. to tie in there was that yeah, Black Manta's the the narrator throughout the entire thing. It's like wow, that it just brings so much like strength to the to the character, you know, and 
just overall, like, you're listening to this narration, you're kind of assuming that it's, like, it's either Aquaman himself or somebody who knows Aquaman. It turns out that it's going to be his arch nemesis. This is a great title. I mean, you know, as much as I talk shit about Aquaman, I mean, this, this really turned me around you know showed off that it's like no he's a pretty badass character you know he doesn't just talk to fish he does other things too given how much that it is brought me around the storyline was good it wasn't a horribly complex story or anything like that to start off with but it was a really good introduction for the rebirth showing who aquaman is what he is, why you should be interested in him, showed a lot of emotion with the character and with the people that are around him, obviously. So, you know what? I'm going to give this four clam chowders. This was a really good run, or a really good start to the run. I agree. It was really good. The part was uh, kind of not exactly making fun of Aquaman, but we have to acknowledge that that kind of exists. That's really similar to the new 52 open that they had, which I also really liked. That, I thought, was a little bit of a repeat. But if you haven't read it before, you know, it's it's a good way to introduce yes. Aquaman. I will give it three and a half tridents. So closing it out, uh, I had... Flash Rebirth number one! By DC Comics, <laughs> written by Joshua Williamson, art by Carmine Di Giando... Oh, yeah. gosh. Giandominico, colors by Ivan Placencia. So this one, it opens up with... Basically, what is the origin story for the Flash? You know, there's the the scene with like the house that's been has the murder uh, that took place with like the child that survived and says like a monster did it. So I was reading this and I'm like, oh shit, that's exactly like what happened to the Flash, you know? And then they're talking about, oh, you know, the father did it, and that's when you know Barry Allen shows up and is like, you know, let's not jump to conclusions here. That's how justice gets, you know, miscarried basically. So then he starts having all these weird visions. Um, of both Wally West coming through the Speed Force and also this new character who says he's going to kill them all. So he starts freaking out a little bit there. One thing I really liked about this issue was how much it ties into the Rebirth that we read two weeks ago. That this is basically that day for the Flash. So there are panels in here that you see that Wally saw while he was in the Speed Force. Like there's a scene where he goes and rescues everyone and he brings them like pizza you know, that's a that's a scene from Rebirth. So you kind of get to see it from both sides of the, the speed force there. There's also a scene that I really liked where he gets goes and talks to his father for some advice, you know, and they talk and get some, you know, fatherly wisdom there. There's also, there's really cool images that they do here where, where the Flash and, well, where Barry Allen and Wally West are running and there's like this, you know, bolt of lightning coming down and then splitting off into each mm-hmm. one of them that kind of divides the page into the two as they're running off in like their their separate directions. I thought that was really pretty strong. So after Barry pulls uh, Wally out of the Speed Force, he starts to remember everything that happened from Flashpoint, and he wants to go and take Wally to to meet Iris, you know, who's his his relative. But Wally can't stand to do that because when he tried to go talk to his wife, his wife didn't recognize him, and he couldn't, you know, stand his family not recognizing him on top of that. So he's He's not quite ready to do that yet. So this one I thought was a, a pretty cool way that it tied back to the original Rebirth. I thought mm-hmm. that was pretty cool. I also really liked the part where they emphasize that Barry is, you know, a criminal investigator just like Batman. So he and Batman are working together on this, you know, the Watchman button that they found, that they're trying to investigate that and figure out what that is. So I, I liked that, too, showing that Wally isn't just a guy who can run really fast, that, you know, he has... He has other skills to bring too, so I, I really enjoyed this one. I thought it was it was pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, you Ryan? know, I was pleasantly surprised by this. You know, uh, Flash is another one. Like Ryan just said, you know, it's 
a lot of times, you know, my mind gets lazy and I think, oh man, he can move fast, which I mean, obviously it is a cool superpower, but it's like, as far as for telling a story, sometimes it seems like it could be limited. This is a really good story, you know, a really good start off with everything. You know, everything's look, the art, first of all, is just, it's the kind of dirty done right art, you know, it's like the scenes look gritty and, uh, and kind of like dark and it's not like you know your typical super done right so it's not bad by any means it's actually really really done well but it's like very like gritty and kind of like that dirty but it lends so much to like the actual atmosphere of the uh of the comic book itself whereas like you know so when they've got like the policeman and everybody standing around everything is looks like it's done really fast but it's like when you look take a second look at it everything's really clean and then the background it's like things that would stand still like the houses and stuff are very uh very straight lined very like almost almost like you know they took rulers to everything to make everything just right so it the the artwork on it's phenomenal i thought it was kind of interesting where they had uh when they first had barry on the crime scene and then you could see his shadow was the flash uniform yeah i thought that was interesting too yeah i thought that was cool curious you know if they were if they're gonna go anywhere with that or if that was just like something that the that the uh, artist just thought would be fun to throw in there was also a point where barry talks about when he first woke up from becoming the flash that he thought the world had stopped because he was moving so fast he didn't quite realize what had happened to him you know because to him he seems like he's moving at normal speed so that was a neat little yeah way to show that kind of horror of what what's happened to him yeah i really like this one i mean the story's great it definitely draws you in you know it makes me curious where they're going with it not typically my favorite superhero of all you know because it, it almost seems it almost seems like it's just you know how much can you do with it you know he runs really fast but like they actually do a really good job of showing off his powers and the artwork just lends to it so much because it looks so chaotic at the same time it's clean you know I don't know. I I really think that this is a good start. It was probably pretty up there as far as when it comes to the rebirth three starts here. I think this is going to be really interesting. I'm curious where they're going to go with it in this, especially, you know, bringing, you know, the bat and whatnot. Uh, I really want to see how they're going to tie all this stuff together. So I'm, freaking happy with this <laughs> yeah, me too. joshua williamson is one of my is a an artist or sorry a writer of mine that i really like like he writes some good stuff over at image and i think this one is basically going to be you know the next it says coming next lightning <coughs> strikes twice so the speed mm. force is going to activate some new speedsters but one of them is a serial killer mm, yes called uh, godspeed and i think that's the one who's like i'm going to kill them all i think that's that speedster Gotcha. So it'll be kind of interesting to see to see that. Um, Joshua Williamson writes uh, a book called um, Nailbiter, which is about serial killers. You know, this might be you know huh. right up his alley for this. So, and I know he specifically yeah. went to the head of DC Comics and asked to write this book. Oh wow! Yeah, because at awesome. first they were like, he was like, "Can I do the Flash?" And they're like, "No." <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, "Well, let me tell you this story I've been wanting to write for years for the Flash," and he laid it out for them, and they're like, "It's yours." Oh, nice. Yeah, so... That explains a lot, man. This is like a vision of a story. This isn't just like, oh, time to go Tuesday and, you know, get my paycheck for the new the new book. No, this is one that he really wants to tell, so... Always makes for a better story when, when they're into it. For sure. <laughs> one thing I wanted to bring up, too, is that cover. Oh, man, that cover is so epic. Yeah. I really liked how they did that with the um, forced perspective, with the way they drew, you know, his hand, and it's all blurry, and then it's like they put a lot of dimension into that picture, you know, to make it look like he's just coming right out out of the page at you. I thought that was really neat, and I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it before we got got done here. <laughs> no, no, definitely. I, I enjoyed this one. I gave this uh, four four speed forces. I'm going to give this four stab wounds. 
So those were the books we read this week. To check out our weekly pull list and other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page, also Four Color Nerds. And you can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. Really cool panels there, by the way. Check it out. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on Podcast Addict. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come on back next week for another episode. Until then, keep reading, nerds. And give us a five-star review. <laughs> Reviews. <laughs> well, tell us what books you want us to read. Getting greedy.